Hello and welcome to this Hardwick podcast. My name is Martin Griffiths. I'm a barrister at Hardwick Chambers. And in this podcast, I'm going to be discussing the topic of proportionality in costs assessments. Uh, just a quick note at the beginning, I want to mention a few cases during the course of this podcast. And you can find the details for those cases on the Hardwick website uh, alongside this podcast. So just a quick overview before we start. Uh, proportionality is, of course, a very important issue in litigation in general. Uh, it particularly comes up in costs assessments, and many of you listening may well be costs practitioners. But it is something that is useful to be aware of for all practitioners right across civil litigation, because whilst it will come up at the end of a detailed assessment, it will also be relevant in any summary assessment on applications, and it's also useful to bear in mind for advising clients about costs as litigation progresses and advising clients in respect of making tactical offers with Part 36. So following the Jackson uh, reforms, new proportionality test had come in, and I'm sure that uh, all of the listeners to this podcast will be aware of those changes that were made and the introduction of the new test in Rules 44.3 and 44.4 of the Civil Procedure Rules. However, we had to wait uh, a substantial period of time before we got any guidance on what the new proportionality test would look like in practice, both in terms of the way that the court was supposed to approach the assessment itself and numerous different approaches uh, seem to be popping up in different courts around the country and in the, the extent to which the court was able to interfere with costs that had already been assessed as reasonable on the basis of proportionality. Uh, towards the tail end of last year, we had two decisions, uh, one in the High Court in the case of Malmston and Bohink, and one in the Court of Appeal in the case of West and Stockport NHS, where those courts uh, finally gave us some guidance, uh, limited guidance though it may be, on the approach to proportionality. And that is uh, what I'm going to discuss for you today. The first of those cases, Malmston and Bohink, uh, was an application under Section 306 of the Companies Act, in essence uh, a relatively straightforward application where a party seeks an order that a meeting of the shareholders of a company can be held with a quorum of one. However it was a part of a much broader fight for the future of the company between shareholders and the solicitors in that case considered various other routes by which uh, the litigation could move forward. The costs order that was made at the end of the application hearing was that the costs of an incidental to the Section 306 application uh, would be recovered by the applicant. The costs uh, that were awarded at first instance on the detailed assessment were of £47,500 plus VAT, and this was reduced on the appeal to £15,000 plus VAT. And I've seen this reduction reported in the legal press as being a swinging reduction on the basis of proportionality, and that's undoubtedly true but it is also important to note that this was a reduction based on two factors firstly proportionality which we'll come on to discuss in a moment but secondly the judge's interpretation of the scope of that costs of an incidental to order and Mr Justice Marcus Smith hearing the appeal found that uh, the court had included on the detailed assessment numerous elements in the costs assessment that were never covered by the order. So the, the £32,500 reduction that was made accounted for both of these factors, and therefore it is uh, important to bear this in mind uh, when considering the extent to which proportionality really uh, bit in this case, because there were undoubtedly matters that were reduced that should never have been included 
on the appeal court's finding on the assessment uh, on the reasonableness basis before the court even came to proportionality. So what does this case tell us about the approach to proportionality? Well, let's start with the most straightforward point. The court rejected the appellant's argument that proportionality uh, should be applied to the figure including VAT. That was held by the court to be a complicating factor and the court decided that it was much more straightforward to look at the excluding VAT figures so that they were directly comparable to all cases whether or not VAT was recoverable or not. The next interesting nugget from the appeal court was uh, a statement of the uh, appeal judge uh, that the costs judge, uh, Master Whalen, had failed to make the proportionality deduction and that this was a, uh, and this is a quote, clear error of law lying out with the very considerable discretion afforded to the master. That is a, at first blush, a slightly confusing statement because there is nothing in Rule 44.3 or Rule 44.4 that affords the court a discretion. And the only way that I can square this comment is by reading it as a reference to the a traditional uh, deference that appeal courts give to specialist judges such as cost judges on an appeal and um, as many of those listening will know that isn't a true discretion but the court affords a margin for judges to come to different figures on an assessment without it being susceptible to an appeal uh, principally because of the, the judge's specialist uh, knowledge in the area and there are a number of authorities that say that appeal courts should be slow to get involved in the nuts and bolts as it were of a detailed assessment. Turning to the, the more procedural elements of how the court said that the proportionality assessment ought to be addressed. Firstly, the court confirmed the notes in the white book and what had taken long in most courts to be the majority practice of a stand-back assessment for proportionality at the end of the assessment as a whole following the reasonableness stage of the assessment. And the court said that this is, uh, this is the correct approach to be taken. The court made reference in the body of the appeal uh, when reducing the figures uh, recovered by the original applicant, the respondent on the appeal, to the correct approach being to balance the factors in Rule 44.3.5. But interestingly, having mentioned the factors in Rule 44.4 earlier in the judgment, Mr Justice Marcus Smith didn't, cite, didn't come back to them, didn't cite them, uh, when making that reduction on the basis of proportionality. So there's reference to 44.3, but no continued reference to 44.4. Perhaps of most importance to the overall way in which the uh, court should look at this from a procedural uh, angle, it's important to note that the appellant during the course of the proceedings proposed a mathematical approach to the proportionality um, assessment. Uh, and it was suggested that notional amounts that would be normal for a case of this type should be attributed to different stages or elements of the litigation and that then when proportionality was considered uplifts should be applied to those numbers in relation to the extent to which the parts of uh, Rule 44.3 were engaged so insofar as one of those factors came into play a different level of uplift should be applied to those numbers. It's not expressly rejected by the court uh, in Malmsten but it is notably conspicuous by its absence and instead uh, the submissions that I made on behalf of the respondent that this is a standback test, in essence similar uh, to the old relief from sanctions test under uh, Rule 3.9 where there are a range of factors for the court to consider and that the judge should work through considering the extent to which they were or were not engaged in making the assessment is the type of approach that is to be preferred. So it is a the standback assessment using the judge's experience and their consideration of the factors in 
in essence in a broad brush sense. One important note in relation to the factors that were being considered is that at first instance Master Whelan had considered the conduct of the appellant to be an important factor in the proportionality assessment of this case and in reaching the figures uh, that he did. Uh, however, on appeal, Mr Justice Marcus Smith considered that if conduct as a factor was to be invoked for the proportionality assessment, it would be necessary to identify how it had resulted in additional costs uh, being incurred uh, so that the court could explain, in essence, the proportionality uh, assessment. Here, in this case, the court acknowledged that Mr Malmston had not been the most cooperative litigant, but uh, commented that although he had not been cooperative, none of the steps that he had taken had increased the costs of the application as they ought to have been considered, rather than the wider litigation as a whole, and therefore conduct fell away as an assessment, as part of the proportionality assessment that the court was considering. Turning to uh, another element of the uh, consideration given by the court to the approach that should be taken on proportionality, Mr Justice Marcus Smith endorsed the statement in the uh, practitioner's textbook, Friston on Costs, that the court should consider proportionality through the eyes of a hypothetical litigant. However, in endorsing that, the court also said that due uh, reference should be given to professionally compiled costs and that the court should not take too client-centric an approach. Effectively, it seems that the uh, court should steer a middle ground between looking at what an individual litigant might have been prepared to spend from a commerciality point of view if they'd known what was to happen in the litigation at the outset, alongside uh, having some deference for the reasonableness assessment that has gone before and the necessary costs that are involved in litigation. Finally, Mr Justice Marcus Smith invited the parties during the course of the appeal to look at the case of Football Association Premier League Limited and Houghton. This is a 2017 case that the judge had heard himself and it involved the summary assessment of numerous intellectual property applications that in substance were virtually identical and in that case uh, the judge gave a combined judgment on the summary assessment where there was a table of the different elements of the application and effectively the judge took a comparative approach uh, to justify the different figures on the summary assessments across those body of cases. Now the judge cites that case in the judgment and says that it is also open to the court on an assessment to consider other like cases as well as the other side's costs in drawing a comparison of what is proportionate. However, it's important to note that the judge, although citing this as a potential course of action, didn't make reference uh, to another summary assessment that was handed up by the appellant on a section 306 application, so the same application that the court was dealing with. No comparative approach was taken there between those two cases, and it seems to me that it is unlikely that a court is going to be assisted by comparator-type cases being handed up in the way, perhaps, of assessing general damage in personal injury litigation. It's more likely that the court will use the benefit of their overall experience when drawing those sorts of comparisons. So the comments that cost practitioners are used to hearing, indeed all practitioners are used to hearing, as to whether a case has been litigated for the sort of sums that a judge would have expected is more likely than a specific comparison between particular cases. So uh, that's the uh, case of uh, Malmsten, which was the first case that we had, giving guidance on proportionality. Much of it was confirming what had gone before in terms of the procedure, but there are some useful uh, nuggets there for practitioners as to 
how matters should be approached in more detail, particularly points on uh, conduct overall and rejecting the mathematical approach and the like that we have uh, just discussed. Turning then to the Court of Appeal decision that followed in time in Western Stockport NHS, uh, this is a case that principally concerned the assessment of ATE premiums in clinical negligence cases. However, in the consideration of that, uh, the Court of Appeal also looked at the application of proportionality to ATE premiums. Firstly, again, looking at the process of the assessment of proportionality, the court confirmed that the wider interpretation of proportionality, including rules 44.4 and 44.3, was the correct interpretation, and that the wider circumstances of rule 44.4 can and should be considered where they are relevant. In terms of the approach that the court should take at the hearing, Court of Appeal confirms that the judge should carry out the line-by-line assessment first on the basis of reasonableness and if the judge considers it possible proportionality can be assessed at that stage too but the full-blown proportionality assessment as it were follows at the end of proceedings. The Court of Appeal commented that where costs are found to be disproportionate the court will look at the various categories of cost or specific periods of cost as the court deems fit where proportionality may be a question mark uh, rather than just having to look at the entire litigation therefore it's appropriate to look at a a particular phase or element of the litigation in which costs have got out of control as far as proportionality uh, is concerned. Turning to the the body of the question of uh, proportionality uh, that the court dealt with in the West case uh, the Court of Appeal held that ATE premiums in clinical negligence cases uh, were not susceptible to a proportionality assessment. They were effectively an exception and the Court of Appeal, it is interesting to note, could have left that matter as it was and simply said that the question on which they were specifically addressing the application of proportionality to ATE premiums was that ATE premiums were an exception. However, interestingly, the Court decided uh, to go further than that and uh, there's an interesting uh, quote from paragraphs 81 and 82 of the judgment that it is worth bearing in mind as a, as a whole uh, and what the court said was this the last point raises the wider issue as to whether when considering proportionality the judge needs to have regard to every item of cost or whether there are some costs which ought to be removed from that part of the assessment we consider that when the judge comes to consider proportionality there are some elements of costs which should be left out of account. The exceptions are those items of costs which are fixed or unavoidable or which have an irreducible minimum without which the litigation cannot be progressed. Court fees are perhaps the best example. So the court there went further than just looking at the single question of ATE premiums and looked at items which they considered ought to be excluded by virtue of their very nature um, and citing court fees which had been something of a battleground uh, on some detailed assessments when it came to proportionality. Now the court did go on to say that this uh, removal of items that were unavoidable was not to reintroduce the old Lowndes test of necessity where necessity trumped proportionality. That's expressly rejected in the rules. However in my view, this exception signposts a potential future battleground in cost assessment. It's interesting that the Court of Appeal used multiple different words when referring to the types of costs that they were talking about as being excluded. They described uh, costs that were fixed, costs that were unavoidable, costs with an irreducible minimum, and costs that were inevitable. And in my view, that provides four potential gateways for parties to argue about 
whether or not particular items of costs in types of litigation should be susceptible to a proportionality assessment and that is an avenue where satellite litigation may well crop up in relation to proportionality assessments as we go forward. So turn to the big picture, where are we now in terms of proportionality? Well, we finally have guidance on the process of the proportionality assessment itself. We know that it's a stand-back test that by and large will be carried out at the end of the uh, detailed assessment. And we know that it is possible for the court to look at proportionality as it goes along on the line-by-line assessment, although I would suggest that it would be unusual for the court to be able to do that in isolation, save for where an item of costs is plainly out of line with what would be expected. And we have a potential, it seems, for satellite litigation arising out of items that are to be excluded from the proportionality assessment uh, and the way in which the court is going to engage with those factors, given the court's guidance in the Malmsden case on uh, how conduct is to be engaged. Are there other arguments about uh, the causative potency of particular factors when it comes to the court taking them into account on proportionality. But really it seems to me that the onus on legal representatives um, still goes back to what was said back in the 2016 judgment on the May and Wavell group case by uh, Master Rowley. And that is that in cases such as the one that he was dealing with, it seems that the new test of proportionality will require legal representatives to inform clients that even if they're successful, they'll receive no more than a contribution to the costs that will be incurred. That power for proportionality to substantially reduce the costs that were deemed to be reasonable on the first assessment still remains. It is an important factor to advise clients about when engaging on litigation and as litigation advances. And it's an important factor that ought to be considered by litigators as matters move along so that they can avoid a proportionality assessment. And the best way of being able to avoid a proportionality assessment, of course, is by getting indemnity costs. And that may lead to making strategic offers at various different stages of the litigation and utilising the tools provided by Part 36 of the Civil Procedure Rules. It may also mean that parties should be switched on to conduct issues that can be raised on an application or on a trial to try and get certain time periods or elements of costs excluded from the proportionality assessment on the basis of an award of indemnity costs in relation Uh, to those factors. That will take proportionality out of the question and will uh, resolve for the party the uncertainty that proportionality undoubtedly introduces. So uh, that concludes this podcast on the topic of proportionality. I hope that it has been uh, useful as a a summary of the guidance that we have uh, received. Uh, If you have found uh, this podcast on costs useful, Can I recommend to you a podcast that was uh, done by two of my colleagues in Chambers, PJ Kirby QC and Robin Dunn, uh, on costs. And it was a roundup of 2019 trends in cost litigation and looking forward to matters that we may see arising uh, this year. Uh, They touch on a couple of the issues that I have dealt with here in a little bit more depth, but also uh, discuss a number of other important cost decisions over uh, the course of last year. Um, If you have found this podcast useful, you might like to subscribe to our podcast series uh, by way of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, You can also find out more information on the Hardwick website, hardwick.co.uk, where, as I said at the beginning, the uh, cases that I've mentioned during the course of this podcast are cited. Thank you very much for listening. Hardwick is a barrister's chambers which specialises in legal advice and advocacy in the areas of clinical negligence and personal injury, commercial dispute resolution, construction, insolvency, insurance, private client, 
professional liability and property. This podcast is provided free of charge for information purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied on as such. No responsibility for the accuracy and or correctness of the information and commentary or any consequences of relying on it is assumed or accepted by any member of Hardwick or by Hardwick as a whole.